pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head coming down on the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon. I know it looks like Hermon. It's pronounced Hermon. Coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. So let's pray. Father, we pray now for the power of the Holy Spirit, both in what I share and in the hearts of your children and the people here to hear it. Give us ears to hear, Lord, that is to obey, to believe and to obey your word. Help us to understand what we need and how you and your direction are the answer. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been in the book of Romans now for some time. We're taking a brief time out to talk about this because it's so important, frankly, to my heart and the heart of our elders and our pastors. I want you to know this has been coming for some time. But in the book of Romans, of course, we're studying the gospel. And I've said it over and over and over again, Romans 1.16, the theme of the book. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation. Up at the top of your outline, I just want to remind you, every single person in the world, really, is called to conversion, first of all. That we need to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is all about that. The need for salvation and how to be saved. But then we've studied already in Romans 12, for those of you in in this room that have been saved, the very next step for us is to be consecrated. Remember there in the beginning of Romans 12, he says, I urge you therefore on the basis of the fact he's forgiven you, the basis of the fact you've been saved and converted, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. In other words, dedicate everything completely to the Lord. And I asked you to do it. If you were here a few weeks or a couple months ago, I said, hey, are you ready to say, God, everything that I am, everything in my life, I know I'm a Christian, but I want to turn it all over to you from this day on. I want to live that way. And many of you, hundreds of you made that decision, and I'm thankful for that. But where do we go from there? Well, right after that in the book of Romans, immediately after talking about consecration, he starts talking about connection. He starts talking about our relationship with each other, that we are a body, that we are members one of another. Remember, we studied that. We talked about the gifts that we have. So put this down. We are called the conversion, consecration, and connection. And so much of the rest of the book of Romans is all about that. Our relationships with each other. You know, there is no book of your Bible that is more theological than the book of Romans. 66 books in your Bible, no question, I've never heard anybody doubt it, Romans is the most theological. Hebrews probably second. But while it is and begins for, for sure as being the most theological, probably no book of the Bible ends more personal than the book of Romans. We won't get there for a while, but Romans 16, the last chapter, it is so personal, it is almost too personal. When people read Romans 16, they tend to feel like, why am I even reading it? Why is this in the Bible? It's 27 verses, and Paul is greeting, by name, 27 people who attend the church at Rome. Which, by the way, Paul's never been to Rome. But he knows a lot of people in Rome before he even gets there. Paul's gotten around, and a lot of people wind up in Rome. And you start to ask yourself, why, why is this in the Bible? Well, I could have been fine without it. I don't know who these people are. I feel like I'm reading somebody else's mail. Well, we'll understand a lot more when we get to that chapter. But one of the things it's teaching us is that God intends that we will be known and know each other in the body of Christ on a first name basis. Paul knew 27 people in a church he had never even gotten to yet. And I wonder how many people in church today don't know 27 people in their own home church. When Paul left Ephesus after being there just three years as their pastor, the Bible tells us that he spent some time with the Elders, out on the island of Miletus, what we sometimes call the first elders retreat. He took them aside and he spent some time sharing with them his concerns about what might happen after he was going to leave. And he told them, you know what, you guys, I know this. I'm never going to see you again in this life. This is it. This is my last time here and I'm saying goodbye. Went down to the shore to get ready to get out of the ship. The guys went with them and the Bible says that they wept. They wept. And Paul said, this is the last time I'll ever see you. Just a couple of months ago, I had a man come to me. His name is David. Some of you know him. And David said, Bob, I need to meet with you. I have to make a decision. Um, I've been offered a position uh, up in Oregon at uh, faculty on a Christian college there, and uh, I'm praying about taking it. My, my daughter has recently gotten married, my only child, and she's up in Oregon in that area. 
and we're, we're really thinking maybe this is something God has for us. I'm, I'm qualified. He had just gotten his Ph.D., bright guy, been with Biola on staff there in the faculty or uh, in the administration for a long time. But David had been in our church for, well, since 1989. I remember we were just there on Palm Drive, a new church of about 50, 60 people, and David and Lynn started coming. And, and of course, they plugged right in, got involved in ministry, all kinds of ministry in our church, children's ministry, worship ministry. David was an elder for a number of years, and we just became friends. And so David came to me and said, Bob, I, I just need prayer. I don't know if I should do this or not. But, but what I watched was his heart as he thought about what it would mean. He goes, everything about it seems perfect except one thing. I said, what's that? He said, i got to move. <laughs> i, I got to leave. And as he shared that with me, he just started weeping there in the conference room as we were talking. And then I started weeping as we realized, well, if this is of the Lord, it's a good thing, but it's also a very, very hard thing. And then just a couple of weeks ago, he stood here right after one of the services. He said, Bob, this, this is it. I, I'm going. And... and uh, I, I want to, and again, he just started breaking down crying. And you know, I, I describe it this way. If you've been around for any years, you know that I talk about this way. It's the way it ought to be. It, it should be when someone leaves a church they've been at for any length of time, like Paul from Ephesus, it should be like Velcro ripping. If it doesn't hurt, it wasn't healthy. And unfortunately for many people, it doesn't hurt at all when they change churches and they've been there for years. Folks, our society, everything about our culture is tearing people apart. We are becoming disconnected within the family. Relationally, people don't know their neighbors. I know it's changing. And we're going, as a, as an org, as a church, I would say across the United States, it's still large churches people are, are attracted to it. Our church has grown, and we're thankful for that on the one hand, but we recognize the dangers in it because people don't connect automatically. Walk around any restaurant today at lunch when you go out. Count how many tables people have their cell phones out on the tables as they're being with each other. They're being disconnected at the same time. Sometimes whole families just sitting there doing their little things, ignoring each other. Have you noticed it? Has it been you? It's just the way things are, and it's certainly true within the body of Christ. I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about saying, what does God say about our relationship with Him and each other from this passage and also from some others. So jot it down, first of all, letter A. See your need to connect with God's people. See your need to connect with God's people. We'll get to the psalm in just a moment, but four metaphors that you're familiar with in the Bible, I just want to remind you of, that demonstrates this. Number one, put it in, if you would, since you are his child, now this assumes you've been born again and you're a Christian, but since you are his child, you belong to his family. You know that. The Bible teaches that. Some of you will remember the commercials that I remember growing up, as you're old enough to remember them, of that man who just, uh, every single commercial, they had different ones, were of a man who was taking advantage of some child's Cracker Jack box. Uh, if the bo little boy and the one I just saw the other day had fallen asleep on the train and the man steals his Cracker Jacks because he loves Cracker Jacks and he eats his Cracker Jacks while the boy's sleeping, puts the box back in the boy's you know, chest where he was sleeping, and then the last scene is the little boy looking at the man right in his face, like, what did you, what did you do? And then the narrator says, when it comes to Cracker Jack, some kids never grow up. And that was their tagline. Some kids never grow up. You know, when it comes to snack food, that's fine. When it comes to your spiritual life, it's not. But the fact is, some Christians never grow up either. And the fact is, the Bible tells us how to grow. First Peter says it's going to involve God's Word. Ephesians 4 says it's going to involve God's people and being in right relationship to both. When God gives a child, a physical child, to this world, He gives it to a family. He gives it to a mother. It's relational from the beginning. And His intention is that that child would raise that family to maturity. God doesn't give a child to a village. He gives it to a family. And in a family, people know you. In a healthy family, they know if you're sick. They know if you're struggling with your finances. Uh, it's probably your immediate family who knows if there's problems in your marriage. And if one of your family members was suddenly missing, well, well you, would, you would know. But in a larger church, what happens is this. Does anybody know if you're not here for a week or two weeks? Does anybody notice? Well, yeah, your seat's available, maybe. But other than that, really, does anybody know? Does anybody care? Or does somebody say, well, they're probably just going to the other service? 
We haven't seen them in a while. They're probably just going Saturday nights now or, oh, I don't know, maybe they left this church and went to another down the street. No big deal. And certainly, everybody has that freedom. But try to make that analogy fit on the family. Can you imagine I had three boys growing up, if one night only two of them came home, little boys, and here they are on the table, where's your brother? I don't know. Well, two out of three is good enough. Probably they just went and joined another family down the street. No big deal. Somehow it doesn't exactly fit. Put this down number two. Since you're his sheep, see you are led with his flock. You are a sheep. We often talk about the relationship of the sheep and the shepherd. It's all through the Bible. Psalm 23, David is bragging on the Lord for being his shepherd. John 10, Jesus said he's the good shepherd. Jesus is called the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and the chief shepherd of the New Testament. Peter says all we were like sheep wandering, but we've returned to the shepherd and the guardian of our souls. And Isaiah talks about it too. We know it's all through the Bible. But we typically focus on God as the great shepherd, and so we should, and how we ourselves are like sheep in all the analogies. What we tend to overlook is how sheep are fed and how sheep are led. Shepherds don't break open a can of sheep food for each individual sheep. They feed them corporately. They are fed together. And by the way, they are led together. And individual sheep in a herd move based on where the herd is going. Listen to me, hear me out. In a huge flock, one shepherd leads the flock and each sheep follows, listen to me, the other sheep that are closer to the shepherd. Did you know that? It's like that cartoon I saw of that uh, flock and one sheep stands up and says, I'm tired of following the herd. From now on, I'm going to be an individual. And then the next scene showed different sheep standing up going, Me too! Me too! Me too! It's our nature to follow each other. That can be good and that can be bad. Who are you following becomes the issue. But it's that you say, well, I don't think that's true biblically. I just follow Jesus. Really? Paul said this, follow me as I follow Christ. Oh, no, it's exactly true. We're sheep. He leads us in a flock. Put this down, number three. Since you're a temple stone, realize he's made you to fit. He's made you to fit. And jot down 1 Peter 2.5. 1 Peter 2.5. Peter uses a different analogy. You're a child of God, yes. You're a sheep within a flock, yes. But here we're each individually a living stone within an edifice that God is building throughout time and eternity called His temple. Your body's a temple, but the body of Christ together is a temple. Listen to what he says. As living stones, this is 1 Peter 2.5, allow yourselves to be built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Listen, in a temple, in a building, in any building that's made of stone, every stone has its particular place. When the temple was built, the stones were quarried and actually built exactly to the right size so they didn't have to be worked on physically. There would be no noise of the temple being built. They were carved exactly to be put into place without mortar, giant stones, by the way, and put into place. So God says, you are a stone that has been fit for a particular place within his temple, which is his people. In other words, you need to be able to say, Lord, I know where I belong. I know where you've placed me. Not just at Calvary Chapel, East Anaheim, but specifically, particularly, between which stones? Each stone lifting up and bearing the weight of another one above it. Being built up, being lifted up by somebody below it. Side by side with particular stones. You can't be right next to every stone. But you will be next to some in a more intimate relationship. It's very interesting. We're stones in the temple. Put this down, number four. As a member of his body, we stay connected to function. We stay connected to each other in order to function the way that we should. We've studied this, so I'll just briefly mention it. The fourth metaphor is you and I are members of Christ's body. He is the head. And unless you're the neck, guess what? Every single part of my human body is connected to the head through other members of the body. Do you ever think about that? And it must stay connected for it to function, actually, for it to be alive. It's possible, we won't ask you to stand up and show, it's possible that some of you have hair on your head that is an on-again, off-again experience. 
Sometimes it's on, sometimes it's off. We, we have a word for that. Artificial. Toupee. Even if it's real hair, it's not yours, man. The reality is this. When it comes to body parts that function the way they're supposed to in a healthy way, they are permanently attached. Some of us have teeth that are an in again, out again. We have a word for that. That's dentures. Catch the analogy. If you're a member of the body of Christ, you are connected. You are permanently connected. You are discovering your purpose and your functioning within what God has called you to be. But our relationship is absolutely vital to our health. Put this down, letter B, and we'll look at Psalm 133 for a few minutes. By unity, God ordains authority and he sustains vitality. I want you to put both those words in. Ordains and sustains. And let's look at the text. Verse 1, Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brothers to dwell together in unity. Then two metaphors, two pictures are given as David wants to convey how good and how pleasant it is. The first one, it's like the precious oil upon the head coming down on the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. Now, we have to think in a different way to appreciate because when we think about oil being poured out on our head, somehow we go, we don't go, yeah, we go, ooh, <laughs> that sounds really like it's going to be a mess, you know. Uh, oil in, in the ancient world was a precious commodity, a cosmetic, frankly, for the body to refresh the body. And uh, uh, in, in, a, in a society that didn't take a lot of baths, it was very, very important and precious when somebody would anoint you with oil. We, we kind of have to think more cosmetics that you enjoy, lotions that you appreciate to even get a hint of it. You know, kind of reminds me of that, that, that little boy that was watching his mom put on for the first time face cream all over her face. He said, Mommy, what are you doing? Just all white on her face. She said, I'm putting on my beauty cream. And just a few minutes later, she was taking it off. He said, Mommy, are you giving up? Uh, so when it comes to oils in the Bible, we, we don't exactly relate to putting oil on someone's head. But this isn't just anybody's head. This is recording, uh, remembering a recorded historical anointing. In particular, when Moses anointed Aaron. You remember how God chose Aaron of everybody to be his mouthpiece to the people. To be the first high priest. So put this down. Unity. David's making the analogy. Unity is the anointing proving divine authority. It's where the unity of God is that sets somebody apart as being uniquely chosen by God. You know, I remember I was out in Riverside some years ago. And it was a busy day. It was, an after, it was Friday afternoon. Lots of traffic over by Tyler Mall over there. And I was at an intersection and I was sitting in my car. I was by myself, but I was behind a young couple on a motorcycle. And, uh, you know, I've seen couples argue in their cars and I've heard them argue in next door neighbors' houses. And, you know, we've all heard it. I've never really seen some, some argument get so out of hand on a motorcycle. Uh, but they, st I don't know what their problem was, but they had a problem with each other. It was really obvious. First of all, they just started yelling back and forth. You know, I'm right behind them. They're the first at the light. And I'm just watching. And then start yelling back and forth, waiting for the light. The next thing I know, there she's hitting him. And he's smacking her. Literally, there's a full-blown Donnybrook going on right in front of me, you know. In fact, so much so the motorcycle falls over. They're just in the street hitting each other. And I got into my car and I walked over and I said, knock it off. What are you doing? And the guy looks at me angry, like, who are you? And at that moment, at that time, I took out my badge and I showed him who I was. And suddenly his anger turned to terror. <laughs> as he realized who I was and what that might mean for him. And you know what? Listen to me. The anointing oil of Aaron set him apart as the person that God was using uniquely. Here's what Jesus said. By this shall all men know you're my disciples. If you have love for one another, your relationship sets you apart to be uniquely the ones that God is moving in in this world. In fact, read sometime John 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. The theme of that prayer, there's no mistaking it. While he prays about a few other things, the theme, the repeated theme, is the unity of God's people. You want to know what God's praying for you? What Christ is praying for you today? He prays that you would be united. And here's the imagery. He says, Father, as we are one, I want them to be one. I want them to share the same intimacy that we have. Why? In part, so that the world may know that you sent me. 
Their unity is either going to demonstrate that or deny it. Our relationship with each other is essential for our authority in our witness. Put this down, number two. Fellowship is the daily do, providing spiritual vitality. We are, through our unity, proving divine authority, but also God's providing spiritual vitality. Look at the next picture, verse 3. It, it is what? It, the unity that's good and pleasant. It's like, he uses a different metaphor now, not so much just the oil, but the dew of Hermon. Now, Mount Hermon is the tallest mountain in Israel. Rises 9,000 feet, way up in the north near Lebanon. Snow capped all year round. They have snow skiing up there. Here you are in a very arid place of the world, mostly desert. But there's this beautiful mountain full of snow. By the way, the headwaters of the Jordan River that feeds the entire land of Israel, Sea of Galilee, finally down into the Dead Sea and everything else, all of it in part comes from the spring waters the, that come out of the ground as well as the snow-capped mountains and Mount Hermon in that range. But he says it's like the dew of Hermon, the waters of Hermon coming down on the mountains of Zion. Now Zion is talking about Jerusalem. He's talking about how the dew covers the mountains. You see, on the one hand, there's the oil that covers one man and focuses on the fact that he has authority. By the way, it doesn't just go on the head. You know, Aaron was the high priest. He's a picture of Christ, who is our high priest, according to Hebrews. But the unity starts on the head, and it flows down right to the edge of the robe. In other words, all throughout the body of Christ. It starts with him. But here the picture is not of one man being covered, but of whole mountains being covered. And by the way, not one time, but every day. It's a difference, you see. But this is the idea. God's unity that we experience comes from above, just like the dew. You see, here's another thing. We don't like dew so much. It's kind of like, what's the point of dew? You know, dew is kind of an annoyance. Get your windshield all covered with water. Kind of irritating for most of us. We don't, but in, in arid society that's agricultural, it's everything. Things die without the dew. And God refreshes quietly, gently, every day the land to keep it alive. By the way, speaking of the dew, the dew always speaks of blessing. In the Old Testament, God's blessings like the dew. His word is like the dew, it says. You know, God's daily provision of manna. We all know about God's daily provision of manna. But go back and you'll discover the manna formed on the dew. Was actually able to be gathered because of the dew that was there first. Interesting. Daily refreshing. Daily provision. You might say it this way. God's fellowship in our life is intended to be that quiet, gentle ministry from above supernatural that comes from heaven, like the dew that comes from heaven, that sustains my life in the Lord. And so he goes on to say there in verse 3, For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. There, where? Zion, yes, but there in unity. You want the blessing of God on your life? It comes in relationship with God's people. Put this down. Unity is the blessing song of degrees. Degrees. See, at the top of this psalm, my Bible says, a song of ascents, meaning going up. If you have King James Bible, yours says a song of degrees, or something like that. Those are the two words that are used. Now, let's make sure we all understand. The psalms, or the songs of ascent, are about physically going up somewhere. David wrote them for the pilgrims, the Jewish pilgrims who were required according to Jewish law to come to Jerusalem three times every year. They were required, if they lived within a certain distance of the city, to physically go and worship at these three feasts. And since you would geographically go up to Jerusalem, you know that, right? In the Bible, you never go down to Jerusalem. You could be living way up in Galilee in the north. You don't go down. I'm going down to Jerusalem. Oh, no, you don't ever go down to Jerusalem. You only go up. Why is that? Because Jerusalem is on a mountain. About 2,700 foot elevation. So no matter where you come from, it doesn't really matter. You're going to go up to Jerusalem. You have to. You always come from a valley. And you come up to Jerusalem. So he wrote the songs of ascent. The word in Hebrew, Allah, to arise up. You're go- As you're going, sing these songs of anticipation of worshiping your God and the blessing you're going to receive. David says, I want you to think about the unity. How good and how pleasant it is to be standing before a holy God, being made right with Him, with each other. It's physically talking about going up. So it's called a song of degrees as you're walking up or a song of ascent physically. But may I say to you what's talking about 
a subject geographically really has application for us practically and personally. To what degree do you want the blessing of God in your life? To what degree are you experiencing it right now? I guarantee you it has something to do with your relationship with God's people. You want the maximum degree of blessing? Then you need to take heed to the principles we're talking about today in terms of your relationship with each other. Put this down. Let's talk about how to apply this practically today. Realize the next step then is yours. It's yours. Interesting article written, I'm sure tongue-in-cheek, by John Acuff, entitled, This Church Isn't Very Friendly. This person wrote, This Church Isn't Very Friendly. Have you noticed that? We might need to change to a new church because we're having a real hard time connecting at this one. Well, we've been coming here for six months, sitting in service, not talking to anyone, and then immediately sprinting out of the building and going home. And no one's connected with us. Rude. Well, we haven't met anyone in small group either. Well, we didn't sign up for one, but, but still, it would be nice if a small group kind of ma- would magically happen in our living room uh, on a night that was convenient for us, and someone brought banana pudding. <laughs> Not boxed banana pudding, but like the kind your grandma used to make. Is that too much to ask for? Probably considering that this church doesn't really seem to reach out to people who have spent six months attending Sunday morning service and not participating in any other activities, no one even called us and asked us why we weren't at the fall festival. Sure, we've never given them our number, but Google it. Then help us connect. I thought this church was going to be different. I thought it wouldn't be like the last three churches we attended. Remember those three? Always saying, please stay for lunch and learn about the church. Please let us know if you have any questions. Please come to our first time visitors lunch. It's so annoying. What's that you say? Where are we serving at the church? Serving is a great way to get connected and plug into a place that's ultimately a two-way street of people loving and giving and growing together. Even something as simple as handing out bulletins can jumpstart a new relationship with new people. That sounds like a lot of work. Quit judging us. Start connecting us. We're having a hard time connecting at this church. You know, the reality is this, especially in any church that's growing in size as we are, the next step is yours. And that's why we're having this tent out here today. We want you to know what you can do. I have realized we have more responsibility to share and communicate what's going on because there are a lot of ministries that we can't communicate about every Sunday. We're going to do a better job not just today. We can't have a tent out there every week. We need the parking. But we will be sharing more about ministries on a regular basis. But today is a day I hope you'll take advantage of the opportunity to at least collect information, start praying, God, where do you want me to get involved? Be informed as to what's available. But on a practical basis, let's put these things down to understand. Because I know in this room, there is a wide range of people, people that are very connected already, maybe even some that are too connected. What I mean by that is you're too involved and it's too much. That's a very small percentage probably. But there's a whole lot more who have never gone much deeper than they are right now and need to. Put this down. Take the first step of faith. Make sure you're in God's family. I don't want to assume anything. I talk about, hey, we're in God's family, so we should be close. We should know each other, but let's not jump too far ahead. The very first thing I talked about at the outline at the very top was that the gospel calls us to conversion. There in Romans it says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord, they'll be saved. And I'll remind you what I heard many years ago that is absolutely so true. And Christians, I wish this was spoken in every church, maybe every Sunday around the globe. If you are what you always have been, you're not a Christian. What? If you are spiritually what you've always been, you're not a Christian biblically, because Jesus said, except you be converted, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. You must be Nicodemus and anybody else born again. Have you been? Have you been converted? You get into God's family by being born into it. That's the only way in, by the way. And if you're here and you're saying, I want to start serving God, I want to be more involved in fellowship, great, but start by becoming part of God's family, by throwing the welcome at you. You say, how do I do that? You admit you're a sinner and that you need a Savior. And you're willing to say, I want to repent of my sin and I want to receive Christ. I realize He died on the cross for my sins. He rose again from the dead. And He has the right to my life. He paid for my sins. He redeemed me. And I want to live for Him. And you invite Him to come in. You can do that today. We want you to do that today. That is your first step. Many of you in this room, you have taken that step. And I'm so thankful for that. But let's not presume everyone has. But for those of you who have, number two, put this down. Be consistent. Make being together Top 
Priority. Top priority. See, there are a lot of people who are Christians who have what I'll call an occasional connection to the body of Christ. Heard of one pastor who on Easter got up, by the way, everybody knows this, Easter's our big day, right? Resurrection Sunday, everybody it seems like who's going to go to church, even those who don't usually go to church, they show up. And it's great. And that's why, by the way, often I'll give altar calls on Easter because I realize this may be my one shot to preach the gospel. Nothing wrong with that. But this pastor of this church got up, big car, he was amazed. And he said, I just, wow, happy Easter, you guys, this is amazing. And he said, by the way, I want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. Remember, he looked at each other. He said, I figured I might as well because I know I won't see most of you until Christmas. Uh, Well, (laughs) you know, we've called them CEOs, right? Christian and Easter onlys. You, You know people like that. Hopefully that's not you. Uh, USA Today came out with a statistic from an interesting poll. 48%, they said, of churchgoers in America, 48%, almost half, attend once a month. Once a month. What happens if you want to get in shape and you decide to go to the gym and work out once a month? You will stop going because that would be a complete waste of time. Uh, somebody equipped with these words. I don't know why so many people change churches. What difference does it make which one you stay home from? Uh, <laughs> you know, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you think, well, he's the pastor. It's kind of his job to charge us up, to feel guilty, to not go to church every week. <laughs> That's not why I do it. That's not when I started going to church every week. And I want to tell you when I did, because it was completely unrelated to ministry. I wasn't in ministry. I was 15 years old. I had just become a Christian the year before. And what happened is I was working my first job. I worked at a gas station. A friend of mine got me a job. His dad owned the gas station. I was thrilled. I couldn't believe I was making $1.35 an hour. That was huge compared to my allowance. And so here I was, just as a young boy. And of course, you know what happens in a boy's life in America when he turns 16. <laughs> Nothing if he doesn't have enough money to save for a car, unless he has rich parents, I didn't. So I was working every hour I could to save enough money to buy what would be a used car, but my car, when I turned 16. And I was starting to actually be able to see it was going to happen. There was a problem. I had received Christ the year before, and I had started attending a Bible teaching church and a youth group, and I was growing in my faith. The problem was this. I was low man on the totem pole as far as seniority. There were a lot of young men that were working for this gas station. I was one of the youngest, and I was the newest. So that meant I got the hours, as you know, that nobody else wanted, which, of course, were Sundays. And so, of course, I took the hours. I mean, I needed the the money, and uh, I didn't take them. They just assigned me, and, of course, I just did what my boss said. I worked every Sunday. But I noticed something very immediate. No one told me. My parents didn't tell me. Nobody told me. I noticed it. I started feeling farther from God than I had been before. I stopped praying. I stopped really feeling like he was working in my life. I knew that God had come into my life. I knew Christ had forgiven me. But as I disconnected from Christians, regularly gathering with them, I started growing cold spiritually. I knew it. And so I had to make a decision. I knew if I didn't work Sundays, I didn't have a job. That's just the way it was. I couldn't tell them, I won't work Sundays. Well, then you won't work, son. I wanted the car. (laughs) I needed the job, but I knew the Lord. And so I remember sitting in the car with my boss, and I finally was nervous, but I finally broke it up. His name was Fred. I said, Fred, I'm really thankful for the job, and I'm thankful for all the hours you're giving me, but I've become a Christian. He was a Catholic, kind of a CEO Catholic, didn't know the Lord. I said, you know, my life has changed, and I... I just realized by not going to church because I'm working, my, my spiritual life is kind of drying up. It's affecting me. And I, well, I've, de- I've decided I, I'm not going to be able to work for you anymore. I can't work on Sundays, and frankly, I won't because I need to go to church. And I knew that was going to be my last week working there. And I was shocked as he went back to the office and he redid the schedule. And I was no longer working on Sundays, but I was working for him the other days. He dis- See, he respected that. He didn't completely understand it, but he respected it. I don't think if I said, oh, I like to ride dirt bikes. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. But he understood there was something right going on in my life, even though he wasn't a Christian, and he honored it. 
And from that day on, I realized, Lord, I can't get away from being regularly with your people or it affects my walk with you. So many people have never had a healthy relationship with the Lord. They don't know what it's like. So they're used to it. Going along on impulse power have never known the intimacy with God that happens through His people. Listen, it's the Lord who's decided He will reveal Himself when God's people get together. Jesus decided that. Where two or more are gathered, there am I in the midst. You remember how Jesus, after the resurrection, showed up with the disciples? Did you notice that Thomas, when he wasn't there, it was on Sunday, first day of the week, they were gathered. We do not know where Thomas was. Maybe he was working at the gas station. I don't know. Thomas missed church. Listen, he missed church. He missed Jesus. Now you say, well, Bob, that's a little harsh. No, that's just what happened. The Bible says of Jesus in the Gospels that on the Sabbath, listen to me, on the Sabbath, as was his custom, he went into the synagogue. That's what he did every Sabbath. Be with God's people consistently. This is for some of us in this room the very next decision you need to make. I am going to be with God's people whenever they gather. Put this down then if you're saying, well, Bob, I'm already doing that. Be enfolded then. Be enfolded. Increase your level of fellowship. Your level of fellowship. That's one of the things we want you to be able to do today to find out ways you can do that. There's a condition, maybe you've heard of it, called hyponatremia. Hyponatremia. The symptoms, fatigue, weakness, nausea, confusion, aggression, and dizziness. But, if not attended to, can lead to seizures, coma, and even death. But those symptoms are so generic. I mean, my goodness, they sound like the flu. But no, they can be hyponatremia. Well, hyponatremia, you might know it better as low sodium. It's just the lack of one particular element in a sufficient level in your body that can go undiagnosed very easily because of all the other things it causes. I believe there are multitudes of Christians who if they were to sit down with Jesus and say, Lord, my walk is weak, my faith is frail, I don't know what's wrong, that Jesus, the great physician, would examine you and say, I know what your problem is, it's IFS. IFS, Lord, what that? Insufficient fellowship syndrome. Jot it down, Hebrews 3 and verse 13. Hebrews 3.13. Encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today. Lest any of you, every single one of you, be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need to be with each other. Hebrews 10.25 says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some, and even all the more as you see the day approaching. We need to be in relationship, but not just on Sundays. You know, for some, I know it's hard for you even to come to church at all. May I say to you, this is going to be a symptom. If church attendance for you is a got-to rather than a get-to, my question for you is, is it possible that's because you're still among a room full of strangers rather than friends and family? Intimacy with the body of Christ grows in its delight. But if you're coming here regularly on Sunday morning, I'm thankful for that. But I want to encourage you, excel still more. Get involved Wednesday nights. We're going through the books of the Bible. Come out and study God's Word with us. Or you say, well, but I can't come on Wednesday. It's great, no problem. We have plenty of fellowships. There are over 25 fellowship groups. Uh, I just went through some of them. But there's women's Bible studies, morning and evening studies, men's Bible studies, men's prayer time. By the way, guys, every man invited out tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, to pray for this nation. I would say we need to pray for this election and pray for this nation. But we need to do it together. God calls us to come together. And a myriad of other ways to say, I want to be known, I want to... I want other people to know me. You know, I'm reminded of that story. Some of you have heard me share it before. That little boy with his family were going to the movies. He was all excited. And so were they. In fact, they were a little late. And so they all went in. And the little boy said, I want some popcorn. And dad said, okay, here's some money. Get your popcorn. Meet us in there. He got the popcorn. He came in. The movie had already started. It was, you know how movie theaters are, pitch black. And the place was packed. And the little boy cannot find his mom and dad. Because it's so dark, he can only kind of see the edge, you know, the person sitting on the edge, and he's walking down. He cannot find them at all. He's kind of feeling a little bit nervous. Finally, he walked down to the very front of the theater, looked out at everybody and said, Does anybody recognize me? (laughs) And I wonder how many in their heart of hearts aren't coming to church week in, week out, saying, Does anybody care that I'm here? Does anybody want to know me? 
Can I tell you the answer to that is yes. We want to know you. We want to know all about you. That's why we do this newcomer's dinner. That's one reason we do it. We want to know you personally. When people come up to me and they've been coming for years and they introduce themselves, well, I've never met you. How long have A decade. You're like, what? We've got to try harder then. I know I can't personally know every person by name. My goodness, I forget my own name, I think. I mean, I'm not getting better at it. But I want to know that you matter. And I want people to help us do that with each other. Put this down. Be growing by going deeper than ever. I don't know if you read about it in the news. It's in the newspaper today. It's been there for the last few weeks. It's supposed to happen today. His name is Felix. Fearless Felix is what he goes by. Felix Bumgarner is from Australia. He's 42. Today's the day over Roswell, New Mexico, if the winds are two miles an hour or less. He's going up in a massive helium balloon. I mean, it's got to be massive. It's taking up a craft that he'll be in that weighs over 3,000 pounds, size of a Volkswagen. He's going up to an extreme height, 23 miles above the earth. 120,000 feet. He's going to parachute out. Free-falling. His plan, if all goes well, will be to break the speed of sound for the very first time in human history outside of a plane. Just his body. 691 miles an hour, breaking the sound barrier. We're not sure what will happen to the human body. We're going to find out. He wants to break the record that was set in 1960 by an Air Force pilot who is now his mentor. He wants to break his own record set back in July of 96,000 feet. If you see the pictures, it looks like he's an astronaut spacewalking because you can see the whole planet Earth from where he's jumping. Uh, He'll be down in about 20 minutes if all goes well. When asked why, they say, well, it's for science. He plans to retire after this jump. Sounds like famous last words to me. But in his heart, this man wants to do it. He's going to do it. I guess it's legal. I don't know. Interesting. Break my own record. I want to go higher than I've ever gone. I want to fall farther than I've ever fallen. And I want to go faster than anybody's ever gone. Great. Can I suggest to you, you just decide this year, I want to go deeper with God's people than I've ever gone in my life. I want to be closer. I want to be connected. I want you to use me for the maximum glory that you've ever used me for. It's going to involve you getting involved. You've got to make, you think something's got to change. By the way, you say, well, what do you mean? Well, if you're in fellowship among us, you're attending different fellowships, let me suggest that you get yourself involved in a small group. A small group. You say, what do you mean? Well, coming to services is great. Even some of the larger Bible studies are fine. But you need to realize that in the Bible, in the Gospels, Jesus, listen to me, reveals more of himself to people in small groups. You say, what do you mean? Well, you notice that when Jesus was going to go raise Jairus' daughter from the dead, he didn't invite all twelve up there. He only invited three. Peter, James, and John. Did you notice that? And Jesus reveals the power of God when he says to that little girl, little girl, I say to you, arise, and he raised her from the dead. When Jesus went up on the mountain, he was transfigured with the glory that he had before he was incarnate. Man, incredible. Peter later will say, we were eyewitnesses. We saw him on the mountain. We didn't follow cleverly devised tales of somebody else's rumor that Jesus was... We saw him. We heard God say it. We know... That happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. But just Peter, James, and John discovered the person of God like the others didn't. And of course, there on the mountain, what we call the Olivet Discourse, the Bible doesn't call it that, Jesus up on the Mount of Olives sat down and he started talking, his last sermon, by the way, about the future, about the end times, dynamic message that we often study and get excited about living in the last days. Jesus revealed his plan to Peter, James, and John. Andrew got got in on that one, (laughs) by the way. Small group. It's interesting. And then there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked them all to pray. They all slept, but he asked three, come with me a little farther. He knelt down in the passion of Jesus Christ as he poured out his heart before the Father, said, if it's possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he sweat drops of blood. Three men. Peter, James, and John. Listen to me. If you're not involved, if you've never been involved 
in a small group. Let me tell you something. That is where you're going to be known and know each other. That is where God is going to reveal more of himself, where Christ, I believe, will reveal more of himself than ever before. Maybe for you that's a home Bible study. We've got several around the area. Pick up a flyer. Find out where you can meet in a small home Bible study of 10 or 20 people that are studying God's word but are getting to know each other at a deeper level. Our women's Bible studies have small groups where the women will pray for each other and get to know each other. We want you in one of those. And of course, our agape groups are doing that as well. Or maybe you're going to get involved in serving. Half the tables out there aren't fellowship groups. They're ministry groups. But a neat thing happens when you start to minister too. You get to know each other at a deeper level. It's a great way to kind of kill two birds with one stone. Fellowship and serving. Put this down. Get engaged if you haven't already. Improve your serve. Improve your serve. And I say to those of you that are coming regularly, maybe you're coming on Sundays and Wednesday nights, you're plugged into the men's group on Friday morning, praise the Lord, but listen, go beyond that. Don't stop there. Say, God, how would you have me to serve? If you're here, and I am thrilled that you are. If you're here, well, of course you are. Why do I say that? I mean, if you're here regularly, but you're sitting and soaking in the study of God's Word, but you're not serving. Listen to me, this is important. You are missing the greater blessing. In fact, biblically, you're missing the greatest blessing. Say, what do you mean? Paul quotes Jesus as saying, it is, listen, you know this phrase, it is more blessed to what? To give than to receive. You know what the Greek word there, more, is? It's the word melissa. That's not important, except that you need to know this. That's a superlative. You've heard of good, better, and best. He says, it is the, the more blessed, it is the blue ribbon blessing. It's the chief blessing to give than to receive. And if you're here and you're going, I love being in church, I love worship, I love it. praise God, but God has something more for you. As a young Christian, I love going to church, hearing the Word of God, learning and studying and praying. It was all great. But let me tell you something. Many of you who have been in ministry in your life at some time here or before this church know this already too well. If you're a person who has been involved in serving and backed off, maybe you had to. Maybe you've changed to this church. Maybe you've just, for whatever reasons, for a season you've stopped. You know there's something missing. You will stagnate as a Christian if you simply stop serving once you realize God has called you. you. Listen, if you take something that's designed to be a conduit or a channel and you turn it into a container instead, there are problems. You as a Christian were not designed to be a container of God's blessings. You're designed to be a conduit. You get fully blessed in the process. Remember what God said to Abraham? I will bless you. And in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I am blessing you so that you can bless others. That's my plan. But the problem is, when I take my life, which is designed to be a channel, and I turn it into a... Listen, if you take any channel and turn it into a container, when you're designed to be a conduit, you're going to have problems. Ask Roto-Rooter. Anything that's designed to give that doesn't give but only receives, there will be problems. You're not designed to be blessed and to function that way. In the Old Testament, throughout the Bible, in fact, it's called the Tent of Meeting. The Tent of Meeting, the Tabernacle. Well, this is not the Tent of Meeting. It's not a Tabernacle. This is the Tent of Ministry, though. This is the place I want to encourage you today to say, Lord, I want to know more. And listen, I'm not inviting you. It's not because we have some, we have three, you know, we needs to work in the Sunday school. It's, it's not about filling positions. I'm going to tell you right now, we don't have a, enough positions to fill everybody in this church. But we need every person in this church filled and serving for your sake, for your health. I, you know, for many, many years, I mean, this church is 27 years old. And I've watched it start with 17 people in my home. It's been a blessing. And I prayed, God, grow this church. God, grow this church. I still pray that. I pray it every day, by the way. You say, well, stop praying. He's done it. I don't know. I'll never stop praying. But my prayer has certainly changed. I'm not praying so much for numerical growth. God's going to bring that. As I'm faithful to the word, as you're faithful to love and serve each other, it'll happen. But let me tell you, here's what I do pray as we do grow numerically. I pray God grow us in two ways. One, grow us in our faith. Increase our faith in you. I really do. And number two, grow us in our love for each other. Those were the two ways Paul prayed for the church of Thessalonica, which he said was doing great. It's healthy. But he said, I encourage you, go farther. Go deeper. Go beyond. Set a new record for yourself. In your faith in God, increase it. And that your love may abound for one another. We're not trying to get you connected to some event or some task today. That's why there are people in the other room. In the other room, in the other tent, in the other place. 
There are people. We want you to connect with people, God's people, so that you might be better connected to the Lord and ultimately be equipped to minister to a lost world who needs to know what you know, who needs to believe what you've come to believe. Finally, I want to tell you about a man most of you have maybe never heard of. His name is John Fawcett. John Fawcett's uh, parents died when he was just a little boy, became an orphan at the age of 12. It would be just a little bit after that that he would go to hear a preacher, powerful preacher, named George Whitfield, and he would get converted. He became an apprentice tailor, and as a young man, now married, he actually became a pastor of a church. He and his wife, there in England, started pastoring a tiny little church of very, very poor community in Waynesgate. They loved the ministry, they loved the people, the people loved them, and the only problem, frankly, was, well, these were poor people. So there was hardly any money. And uh, John and his wife had a number of children and things were extremely hard financially. But they loved the ministry and so they continued. They were basically paid with potatoes and produce. That's all the people had. And then an opportunity came up after a number of years. There in London, a large church was looking for a new pastor, asking for people that might be interested. And so John sent a letter saying, I'd be open to doing that. And they wrote him back saying, we've heard about you. We would love you to be our new pastor. So he and his wife were excited that God was calling them beyond. They loaded up their wagon. They said goodbye on Sunday morning to the people of their church at Waynesgate. And they were loading up their wagon. People from their church, all of them, one by one, without planning it, came over to say goodbye to their beloved pastor. But as they came by, every one of them just were weeping, kind of like what happened with the elders of Ephesus, just weeping and actually saying, please, I know you're going. I know you've taken the position. I know you need to go, but please don't go. We need you. We need you here. We love you. Please stay. John's wife started weeping, too. And she turned to him. She said, how can we break these bonds of Christian fellowship? John started weeping, too. He said, you know what? You're right. They just started unpacking. Yeah, help unpacking their wagon. They said, we're staying. They never took the position. He spent the rest of his life pastoring that one church for 54 years until he died. But it was right after that experience that he wrote the words of that famous hymn, Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds, well, it's like to that above. Exactly what Jesus said. Lord, that they may be one, even as we are one. It's a supernatural experience that God's calling us to. It's not just hanging out with other Christians and socializing with other Christians. It's experiencing the presence, the purpose, the power of God in relationship with each other. So here's what I'm asking you to do today, something different than I've ever asked you. I'm asking you to get up after the service. We've closed the cafe, by the way. You can get coffee and donuts out here if you want, and there's some coffee in there, but this is a day unique for us. I'm asking you to get up and look at whoever you came with and said, and say to them, that's it, I'm going in. I'm going in. Look, when Jesus Christ comes back, I want to be in His will, in His Word, and with His people. That's just it. I, I pray that's what you say. I want to be in His will, in His Word, and with His people. Guess what? He's coming very soon. So Calvary Chapel, take your place. Take your places. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you